so for me and and this really obviously more so at the developmental levels but I, i would say even all the way up to the professional i always start with the underpinning qualities you know it's, it's very tough to be agile or when we talk about agility you know multi-directional movement the ability to basically the agility we're talking about the ability to meet a task with the required solution um, mm-hmm. on the field of play whatever that might look like a multi-directional movement or or stopping starting accelerating whatever that is the ability to put the key in the lock, so to speak. And I'm, I'm always going to start with the underpinning quality. Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6 p.m. where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favorite podcast app. Hello and welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Chad McLean. I'm your host. And today my guest is Scott Solwasser. He is the performance and our key topic for our chat today is on team-based athletes and how to improve your agility. So for high-performance coaches out there, strength and conditioning coaches, physiotherapists, or perhaps parents that are working with their kids, and of course, athletes, make sure to stick around as there'll be gems all the way through the show. But thank you for jumping on, Scott. Really looking forward to our chat. Thanks, Jack. I really look forward to it as well. And, you know, I'm I'm fired up. Been following the show and, and you, and I'm fired up to get to Top Shop here. Yeah, likewise, mate. And, and yeah, thank you for jumping on. I know it's later than it is for those tuning in in Australia. So I really appreciate your time that you've given us as well as the, the time that you've booked in to make this work, mate. But for those that I'm sure there'll be a lot of S&Cs that are aware of your, your work and your background, but for, for those that aren't in the industry, mate, do you mind giving us a, a background on how you got into the industry and, and how you worked your way up to what you're doing now? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. You know, the, the longer I'm in this profession, you know, the, the bio gets longer and longer, but I'll try to cut to the point. So I grew up in California. In high school, I played football, baseball, and rugby, actually, which in the U.S., you know, obviously isn't as big. Australia, obviously, is, you know, it's, it's huge, but I'm a big rugby fan and played that in high school. Went to college and played at UC Davis. I actually majored in English and communications is kind of unique for my bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting a master's degree in kinesiology as well as, you know, every certification under the sun. But, you know, what's unique about my bachelor's degree is that, as you know, communicating and the ability to express yourself, whether it be verbally or through the written word is huge. And I would say that I use I use those skills on a daily basis as much as I use use my kinesiology you know, because just the ability to communicate is huge. So wouldn't replace that experience. Went to graduate school, got my master's degree in kinesiology. I started my career actually as an intern with the Oakland Raiders in the NFL, which was, that's a bit unique. The first time I'm ever coaching anybody, um, I'm telling anybody what to do. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm at the highest level and I'm 23 years old at the time and they've got a number of hall of fame athletes on that team and and you know I, I don't really know what i'm doing yet but i was brought in because i was a competitive olympic weightlifter and at the time 
the team was moving at the time in the NFL, a lot of the programs were machine-based. And so teams were moving towards more of a movement-based Olympic lifting on your feet type model. And I was a competitive Olympic lifter. So I was able to come in and at least teach those lifts, you know, and as well as all the dirty work that an intern does. From there, I went to Sacramento State, as I mentioned, spent about four or five years there, actually, first as a graduate assistant, got my master's degree in Kines, and got my first full-time job there as well. And my mentor there, Gary Uribe, deserves a lot of credit because one thing that I always tell young strength coaches is what is irreplaceable in my book is finding some, a good mentor early on that can teach you the right way to do things and can teach you or at least show you what it should look like at a high level early on. And to me, the those experiences were vital for me because I always think back, like at the time, I didn't know a lot and I didn't necessarily even know what it was supposed to look like. So if I had gone in and someone was backwards, I probably would have thought, oh, this is, this is what it looks like and who knows where I'd be, right? So the ability to see it done at a high level and learn it the right way, right away, was huge to me. So I co- I spent a good amount of time there. From there, I went to the University of Louisiana, spent a couple years there. And at this time, I'm working with every sport under the sun, right? I'm working with court sports, field sports, still primarily football. Is that my, that's my background, but every sport under the sun. I left Louisiana and worked for Sparta Performance Science. And that name might register with a lot of people. They're kind of worldwide now with their force plate technology and software. It was an outstanding opportunity to get in on the ground level with them. And uh, literally at the time, I believe they had like four or five employees, but now they've got 200 or whatever they've got. And they're working with high level teams all over the globe. But the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Wagner and literally get on a whiteboard and look at these force plate scans and try to make heads or tails of it, you know, on a grassroots level. And it's a system that they've now perfected, but what a valuable learning experience. And it completely changed the way that I looked at movement, right? Mm -hmm. So now, in addition to being qualitative, it was also qualitative and quantitative in, in many ways. And I was like, this is outstanding. So from there, went back to the Oakland Raiders briefly for a second go round. And then I went to the Cal Berkeley. And from from then on, I was pretty much exclusively for American football. Obviously, I spent four years there. Then from there, I went to Texas Tech University, spent three years there as the director of speed and power, where I had an outstanding opportunity to really run and develop the movement program. From speed to agility to explosiveness and and the head strength coach there, Rusty Witt, really gave me carte blanche to do everything that trusted me really, along with Coach Kingsbury, the head football coach, entrusted me with getting these guys faster, more athletic in many ways, I'm sure, that we're going to talk about later in the show. That was really my first time cutting my teeth in terms of running a large segment of the program at at what we call the power five level, which is the highest level of college football. From there, I went to Texas State University briefly as the head strength and conditioning coach. From Texas State, I went to University of South Carolina, once again, exclusively with football. Had an outstanding time at South Carolina working for Paul Jackson, who's one of the guys that I respect 
in this profession immensely. We have been wanting to work together for a long time. Outstanding opportunity there to obviously implement my craft at a high level, but also he really taught me how to, the term CEO is kind of, you know, cliche now in terms of being a strength coach CEO or whatever, but, but really operate as a professional on so many levels outside of just the X's and O's of strength and conditioning, how you run a staff to how you interact with coaches to how you be an administrator of your craft. And so I, I learned a lot there from there. I went to Washington State University. So that's all told by that point, that's about a decade. I know I described it quickly, but that's about a decade of power five college football, you know, and at Washington State, I finally came to the realization, as we mentioned before the show started, that at that level, it's about win- wins and losses, and that's great. And But for me, I had uh, two daughters at home, and, and now, as I mentioned, I'm blessed with two stepsons and, and, and the son on the way that really, like, they love me unconditionally, right? And it's not about wins mm-hmm. and losses. Yeah. You know, and I finally realized that I, I'm not spending enough time being a dad to my daughters. You know, and that's not to say that you can't be a great dad at that level. You can, but I got to the point where I felt like it was more important to me to spend more time raising my own kids instead of around other people's kids. And so I decided to make the move to the high school level. So now I'm the director of athletic performance at Bishop Lynch High School, which is the largest co-ed private high school in the state of Texas. And so I'm able to continue to apply my trade and, and, and coach athletes and, and develop them, but also I'm able to be more present in my children's lives, which is at this stage of my career, extremely important to me. So that's Kind of a long-winded, but as brief as I can keep it, explanation. Yeah, man. Not from point A to point B. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And that it's great to have context, I think, before we get into what we're, you know, the, a specific focus on, on, like you mentioned, athletic performance. But to get that understanding, particularly um, for strength and conditioning coaches there, there was some things that stood out to me in terms of your background from an academic point of view, how you mentioned the importance in hindsight, how important that communication degree was as well as understanding the body with kinesiology and putting them together. The, the weightlifting background, actually having a real skill set and how they got you the foot in the door in elite sports straight away early. And then having a mentor, a really strong mentor early on in your career, really, I guess, taught you the ropes in terms of you know, your foundations of, of how to do things and, ha- and how to operate. And then as you're building closer and closer to your, your degree, yeah, to your career, yeah, focusing more on the management side and the, you know, less of the, the art of S&C, but more about people and and how to manage so yeah it's great mate a, a great journey in elite sport and and yeah a good stepping stone in in terms of development for strength conditioning coaches that you know that everything has value if you approach it the right way how much of of that experience and and development was structured and how much was it sort of just own what was in front of you and make the most of it and then see where it takes you in terms yeah, of I mean, mentors at taking up weightlifting and doing right. your degrees i definitely think that there's I think that I definitely think, you know, and this is a big point of contention now, right? Like how important is a degree really? How important is a certification really? You know, I think, I think it's, it's all important. You know, I think I see, you know, people that maybe put the, the cart in front of the horse, if they devalue a formal education, 
a little bit. And now make no mistake, my degree and even my certifications did not teach me much in terms of how to be a high level coach. But what it did do is it, I feel like it gave me a well-rounded background and comprehensive, at least foundation so that the things that I saw as I started to get in the environment and get more experience made sense to me, right? I had a basis of comparison. I could look at something and I at least had somewhat of an idea of, of what questions to ask. Even, yeah, right? yeah. Or what, what am I even looking for here? You know, and so I, I do think there's value in having a formal education and the certification process just because at least that gives you a background and a foundation. Now, from there, obviously, um, as I mentioned, finding a mentor and cutting your teeth trial by fire, as they say, right? Like there's only so much that you can learn without actually being in the environment. Um, and it might look great on a piece of paper. It might look great on the pages of a book or or on a the screen of your laptop. But it's a whole different thing when it's live action and, and bodies are moving. And you know, I, I think a, a great example of that that I can think of, and and one thing that I've kind of hung my hat on, and I guess made a name for myself in this profession is speed and agility, right? And so that's. What I've spent a lot of my time at the highest level developing or being hired to develop, but I remember at Sacramento State, the first time I was put in charge of coaching speed and everyone ran by and I was like, what do I even say? I mean, that happened so quick. They all flew by. I mean, it's, it's, I know what I'm supposed to say, but I didn't see what happened. It happened too quick. And now, like when I watch these athletes sprint, it almost happens in slow motion. So that's an example of you could pour over every book or watch every video out there, but unless you've watched someone sprint and tried to coach them, it's going to happen very fast and, and it's going to be difficult. And I think there's something to experience. I feel like I'm outstanding at coaching what I do because I have that knowledge base. If you asked me to coach a golf swing, I would be stuttering and stammering and you would think I was a horrible coach because I have no knowledge in that subject, right? So I think, again, back to the education piece, having the knowledge is the start because that gives you your, your basis of comparison, but then you've got to get out there and you've got to actually coach it and you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to make some mistakes. Like, again, I've, I've made a name for myself coaching speed, but I actually, my first internship, like I mentioned with the Oakland Raiders, I think back and I'm 23 years old out there and I'm telling these professional football players, I'm telling them to keep their elbows locked at 90 degrees when they sprint, you know, and I think back and I'm like, ah, why did I, why did I tell them that? We know that that doesn't happen and, and we know that that's not right. But like I said, at the time, you know, that was, that was all I knew. That's what, you know, and, and as time goes on, you know, you, you learn more and you start coaching it and you, everything slows down and you're able to explain more. And now as well as the qualitative piece, as I mentioned, the quantitative piece, we're able to gather data for everything. So Sparta started that for me as far as numbers associated with movement with the force plate, how athletes jump and things 
nature. And now it's gone to a whole nother level. Last spring, I was able to work side by side with Les Spellman on an NFL draft class. And on the team as well was Ryan Grubbs. You may have seen him on social media. He does some work with Jonas Dodu. Mm -hmm. He works with the Texans here. And talk about pioneering a system of analyzing sprint kinematics. It was incredible, the stuff we were doing and the amount of data that we were able to look at literally for every single step of an athlete. So that just deepens the well even more in terms of knowledge and, and what feedback you're able to give an athlete. And obviously that at that level where your millions of dollars are at stake, that's called for. That same knowledge applies every day, even with my developmental athletes. I obviously don't go as far down the rabbit hole telling a developmental athlete, your ground time is a tenth of a second too long on there and your air time isn't long enough. You know, I, I simplify it for them, but I'm looking at the same stuff, right? Like that knowledge base, that knowledge base applies to both. It's just a matter of delivery and your audience. And that brings us back to the, the communication piece, knowing your audience and that was one thing that always, early in my career, Charlie Francis was a big influence on me. Obviously, he's now passed away, Ben Johnson's speed coach. And that was one thing that always blew me away about him was how simple he could make these concepts that were high-level concepts. And that's one thing I've always tried to do is to be able to take something um, and know it so thoroughly as I explained View a jump from the from through the lens of a force plate. View a sprint from a very thorough breakdown of the kinematic data, but then be able to package it and tell someone a simple cue that will hopefully address everything we're trying to work on. So I honestly forgot what the question even was. I'm sorry I got out on a tangent, but No, it was just more elaborating the the yeah. How I guess for the for the audience for those developing S and Cs, you know, success leaves clues. So to go into detail around some of those key areas that have worked well for for your career, I think it's important. And before we get into the topic, on that note, career highlights that spring front of mind. Is there is some that you want to share? So I I remember I first when I finally made it in my mind or was able to work at the Power Five collegiate level and coach and stand on the sideline in stadiums at Ohio State University, University of Georgia, you know, some of the big time traditional blue blood programs. That was pretty cool to me because growing up as a college football fan here and seeing all those programs on TV and now I'm coaching against them, you know, or I'm at, at Cal, UC Berkeley, which is, you know, a half hour from where I grew up. And instead of being in the stands, the game, I'm standing on the sideline and coaching on the field that I grew up, you know, again, sitting in the stands watching. So those those were all, you know, big time highlights for me. Some of the players I've coached, you know, I was I was blessed to be able to coach guys like Patrick Mahomes, who's, you know, possibly the best football player in the world right now and, and be a part of his a small, small part of his journey, along with numerous other professionals. But I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a different answer to this question than you're probably anticipating. So I'm a big WWE fan, professional wrestling fan, and mm -hmm. that that may, you know, some of your listeners right now are cheering, and some of them are sitting there saying, "Oh my gosh!" But I'm a big WWE <laughs> fan. 
And when I was at Texas Tech, prior to practice, Coach Kingsbury, who was all, he's also a, a big WWE fan, we put on a match in the stadium. And I came down and, you know, we, we profession, did professional wrestling moves, me and, and another coach. I got put through a table and I got pulled. And they posted that video and it went viral. So I think now it's got like 330,000 likes, several million views. So I always laugh that me getting put through a table basically in my underwear, it was on Sports Center, it was on ESPN Sports Center, it was on Sports Illustrated. So more people have put put through a table in my underwear than have ever seen or heard of me as a coach. But WWE saw that and sent me an authentic WWE title belt, which is like one of my most prized possessions. So I'm sorry that I had to divert from the world of sport. But uh, for me, that was the uh, opportunity to do that for it to become as big as it did. And it still gets reposted to this day. And it's like five years later. So that was a pretty cool, kind of dorky, but pretty cool moment for me. Yeah, absolutely. And and I imagine once You've, you know, when you're in those moments, you probably don't appreciate as much as you are, but now that, you know, being able to reflect on those highlights, you realize how big of a deal it really is with, like you mentioned, being on the on the sidelines and, and witnessing these special moments and, and then being part of it. Of, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And what about, on the flip side, challenges that are significantly, you know, that you faced? I imagine, you know, high-performance sport, there's it's high-pressured moments and things always don't go to plan. And, yeah, what have you sort of learned from those or how have you grown from those challenges? I, I was I would say career-wise, as you mentioned, um, as a profession, the higher you go up, the more pressure there is to win. And it's not everything is obviously in your control. You know, I know plenty of outstanding strength coaches that coach on teams that don't win very many games. And I know plenty of mediocre strength coaches that or on teams that win plenty of games, and that's that's not always in your control. And the, the unfortunate side of that is, as as I have been, sometimes when you don't win enough games, even if you think you did an outstanding job, and and you're le- you're left looking for another job, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the ugly side of the profession, and that's that's part of why I decided I got to stop moving all over the country and stay in one place and raise my kids. So as a profession, that's a challenge, but I. I'd like to talk about some stuff just, you know, as as a strength and conditioning coach, things that that are or or have been a challenge and and kind of how I dealt with it and and grew from it. So, thinking back from early in my career to now, as I told you briefly earlier, I used to spend all this time and obsess over drafting up the world's greatest program that had every perfect periodization, every every exercise and progression that I could ever imagine, and this is going to be perfect. And it didn't play out the way that I envisioned it because I neglected the logistic side, right? And so that, and I'm not saying I, I'm as organized and obsessed with obsessed with preparation is but now i work backwards now i think in terms of logistics as i program because at the end of the day if you can't implement it it's not the world's greatest program right so even if you look at it and say man this has got it all if you go on the floor and it's 
unorganized and chaotic and it's not what the athletes need, then it's not the best program. So now I, I still spend a lot of time and and very prepared and organized and still possibly obsessed about my programming, but I view it through a different lens, I guess you would say. I <laughs> The lens I look at it through is, okay, what's this going to look like on the floor? What's this going to look like on the field? And even if theoretically I love it, if there's a piece that I know, all right, this is going to take too long or I don't know if they're ready for this, it's got to go, right? So I think my advice to a young strength coach is always have that logistic mindset, all right? Always envision what it's going to look like playing out before you get so obsessed with building the perfect program. And the other piece, as we kind of hit on earlier, is the communication piece, right? Early in my career, it used to be frustrating, and I'm sure we've all experienced it with, we love it so much, right? We can't imagine doing anything else. How could you not love coming into the weight room and getting better? Well, you know, as well as I do, not everyone loves it, right? Or they love it for different reasons, or they love this piece of it, but not that piece of it. So the challenge over the course of my career became how to be a better communicator so that I can reach a variety of different athletes, right? So that not only can I motivate the meathead that wants to get in here and lift every weight in the room, but how can I motivate the guy that really only wants to play his sport and I'll come in here because I have to, or the kid that honestly doesn't like to train at all. How can I reach each of those individuals? And and there's countless other examples of people with different backgrounds and histories and feelings about training and preparation. And how can I reach all of them? And how can I be consistent and stable in my philosophies, philosophies, but variable enough in my communication and and empathetic enough with the different athletes I'm coaching that I can reach them because at the end of the day, it's on, it's, it's on you, right? Like a long time ago. And this is actually, this is something I learned at Cal at UC Berkeley. So their rugby program here in the States, you know, they've won whatever it's either 22 or 24 national championships. I mean, it's the elite collegiate rugby program and their coach, their, their coaching staff, Jack Clark and Tom Phillips. They, I was having a conversation with them one day, and uh, it completely flipped the way I looked at things. They basically, I forget their exact words, but the gist of it was, it's never its never the athlete's fault. And that doesn't mean that the, that, that, that the athletes shouldn't be held accountable. Like, they, it's never their fault. Like, just carte blanche to do whatever they want to do. Obviously, they need to be held accountable. But what it does mean is that if the athlete isn't successful at the end of the day, you're the professional. It's your job to to figure out what's going on or what went wrong and, and hold yourself accountable for that athlete's success or lack thereof. And it completely flipped how I viewed things because it's real easy to be like, oh, that kid's uncoachable or, oh, he's lazy or, oh, you know, whatever other excuse in the book. But great he might be uncoachable but you know what you got to find a way to coach him so mm. what are you gonna do how are you gonna motivate him he might be lazy but you know what he's motivated by something and you better find what that is 
So that really flipped my perspective on that. So those are two challenges, you know, in both in terms of the X's and O side, being logistical minded as well as just science minded. And then also the communication piece of regardless of who you've got, you've got to find a way to reach them. And also you've got to find a way to communicate with them. Right. Yeah. Like, and it's a great mindset. There, right. There, there are guys, there are guys that want the science, right? There are guys that are almost as big of a, of a dork as I am. And they want to know, you know, every piece of physics that you can, that you can bust out on, on what this exercise does. And then some guys don't want any of that. And you, you start mm. doing that, they'll, they'll just tune you out. Right. So you got to know how to speak to each and every one, whether it be connecting it to movements in their sport, or maybe it is the science for some guys, or maybe it's, you know, just tough love for others, you know, whatever it is, you got to find it. And, and I like to think that that's the area that I've grown in the most over my career, you know, and, and continue to grow in both of those areas, you know, as, as we all will, or as long as we stay in the profession. Yeah. hundred percent. It's yeah. Well said that, it- it's probably what draws us to it. And for those that stick at it for as long as you can, have that open mindset of continually getting better because it is so complex working with humans. And But yeah, if you approach it with that perspective, like you said, take on the responsibility, don't take the easy route and, and find a way. No doubt the athletes will be better for it. So we'll, we better move into the into the key topic. Perhaps we'll start with agility and then spend some time on, on max velocity speed. But from your point of view, what are the key fundamentals for you know, performing agility actions on game day. So for game day performance, I guess, for the athletes listening in, what are some yeah, key fundamentals? So for me, and and this really, obviously more so at the developmental levels, but I, I would say even all the way up to the professional, I always start with the underpinning qualities. You know, it's, it's very tough to be agile or when we talk about agility, you know, multi-directional movement, the ability to basically agility, we're talking about the ability to meet a task with the required solution um, Mm -hmm. on the field of play, whatever that might look like a multi-directional movement or, or stopping, starting, accelerating, whatever that is, the ability to put the key in the lock, so to speak. And I'm I'm always going to start with the underpinning qualities. It's really tough to be able to meet those agility needs or or those movement needs with a glaring hole in your foundation, whether it be strength, whether it be mobility, stability, speed. Some of the underpinning qualities, I think being a being a part of a comprehensive program and a well-balanced athlete to begin with is where I'm always going to start. So if if an athlete is not strong enough or can't run very fast linearly, you know, those those are areas we need to address. And and obviously concurrently we're working on multidirectional speed anyway, but but I think a lot of those underpinning qualities are really underrated in terms of their ability to address everything. I promise you, if you get someone stronger and faster, as long as you're working on agility, whatever that looks like to you, and obviously we'll get into down the rabbit hole of what that looks like to me. But if you're developing those qualities, I'm willing to bet you that the athlete becomes more agile if if that's what their needs, if they're if they're lacking something in that in the foundation, so to speak. So that's always where I'm gonna start. From there, and this is a piece 
you know, that has really become hot, so to speak, in the last few years is, is, and it sounds so simple, but the ability to decelerate, the stop, almost every change of direction um, is, it requires some, some sort of slowing down. And early in my career, and uh, it's, it may sound crazy, but this is, that's really not how we thought about it back then. We didn't think about deceleration. We thought about footwork. We thought simply about repositioning the feet, pointing yourself in a different direction. And that was agility, right? But now we know the forces at play, the eccentric forces, the eccentric rate of force development, the ability to stop and slow down your body. That's going to be the next underpinning quality that allows you to change direction. So I spend a ton of time working on not only the mechanics of that, but as I mentioned, the strength qualities that go into being able to do that as well. From there, assuming that you are strong enough, you're explosive enough, you know, and, and when I say strong enough, strong in all the different special strengths, so to speak, whether it be speed strength, strength speed, explosive strength, we're, we're good at all of those. We're able to accelerate, we're able to decelerate. But at that point, it becomes being able to withstand the forces required of different change of direction movements. Whether it might be a 90 degree cut, it might be an angular cut, it might be 180 degree cut, all of those require not only different footwork, but different angles, different body positions, and, and different forces at play. So I'm going to put the athletes in closed drills where they're able to experience all of those forces at the highest level. And, you know, that, 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 lately has come under fire a little bit, especially in terms of the NFL combine and the evaluative process. Why are they running the 5-10-5 drill, the three cone drill? Just when do you run around cones? You don't. And that's and 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 we'll speak plenty about that and how that not necessarily a good indicator of, as you mentioned, game speed or game agility, but I like it because it allows you to really experience the highest threshold of decelerative and accelerative accelerative forces in a multi-directional pattern. So, and and I would be remiss to mention plyometrics as well. Obviously, uh, in the underpinning qualities, we're talking about plyometrics, horizontal, vertical, rotational, multi-directional as well. So we're doing that. We're doing that along with the strength and speed development as well. But Assuming you're able to withstand the forces and redirect the forces in, in, in a closed environment, now it becomes reacting to stimuli. And initially in more of a general, I guess you would say, manner, like can you execute these high-speed, sudden stopping, going movements in response to something from the environment because really other than a combine situation where you're racing the stop clock or the stopwatch it, it always is in response to something else right you would never just you know think about any sport whether it be rugby on a breakaway or football you know if no one's in front of you why would you change direction it would just keep running right so it's always in, in response to stimulus and initially just the, at the most basic level Right, something very simple, whether it be an opponent going left or right, or even a coach making some sort of signal. Really, in my mind, there's two there's two general ways where you might have to react to an opponent. One would be mirroring, right? Like I'm trying to shadow you, I'm trying to follow you. 
So imagine in basketball, I'm guarding you. Maybe in 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 some other sports, you know, I'm I'm following you. You're my guy. I gotta follow you. All right. So I'm mirroring you or pursuit. Right. I'm trying to get you. You're trying to run away from me. So I'm trying to. I, I I'm in a situation where you're trying to evade me, and I I can't let you evade me. I'm trying to get to you. So really, I mean, the sky's the limit in terms of thinking of. You know, your only limit is your creativity in terms of thinking of utilizing <clears throat> multi-directional movements in response to situations where you have to follow somebody, shadow somebody, or where you have to evade or pursue somebody. And it doesn't even need to involve your sports ball or any type of strategy or anything like that. Just simple opportunities to utilize some of the deceleration patterns that you've taught your athletes in response to to an outside stimulus and then obviously the next layer would be specific sports skill right so like for us that would be tackling for instance right so let's say i've i've taught you how to accelerate decelerate i've taught you how to mirror somebody or or follow somebody and i've taught you how to pursue somebody that's trying to evade you but now you're there and now what right okay i got you now what well now is the sport skill right so now at that point we work on tackling bringing guys down to the ground that's one thing that we do it year round a guy that i i follow on twitter i've never actually talked to him but andrew ryland posts a ton of great stuff i actually play or and i use the term loosely but sevens rugby last summer i incorporate a lot of rugby drills with american football players because it never made sense to me how tackling is such a huge part of our sport but yet we only practice it like five months out of the year, right? Yeah, and yet games are going to be won or lost based on it. Well, here's a sport, rugby, where you're not wearing pads or a helmet because that's always been the excuse of football, right? Oh, well, we, we're not allowed to wear pads or a helmet. We're neither are they. So let's do what they do. So we've been tackling, you know, we've been tackling since the beginning of the offseason. Initially, very simple, one or two steps, linear, but now we're to the point where, yeah, we're incorporating all the different movement qualities that we've worked on separately, accelerating, decelerating, and then at the end, doing something with it, you know, executing a rugby-style tackle. And yeah, that's 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 the last piece, obviously, is incorporating that sport skill. It doesn't have to be a tackle. It could be whatever your sport is, you know, whatever whatever the end goal is. Why are you trying to be agile? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to score a goal? Are you trying to make a basket? You know, what? what is it we're trying to work on? And, and that's the end result, right? Being better at that. So, yeah, what what an answer. <laughs> that, that was that was great, mate. Thank you for that. Such great detail and, and provided a framework as well for each step of the way. Now working with, this is off the cuff question that I didn't add to the run sheet, but just I was got me thinking while you were explaining your philosophy there now that you're working in development pathways and to give context a question there'll, there'll be parents listening in that are fearful of their kids going into the weight room but they'll be playing combative sports contact sports so with that context yeah for, for contact sports team sports they're doing agility they're getting hit what, what's your stance on on the weight is it an age thing is it a, is it a technical thing and then how objective 
would you be in terms of progressing them towards perhaps weightlifting? Right. Is that a technical thing? So age doesn't matter as long as they're proficient of the movement, quantitative, or, or is there some objective rules that you've got in place that you hold people account to? Uh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give two answers. I'll give my parrot answer and I'll give my strength and conditioning coach answer. So my parrot answer is that it's, it's, it's practitioner-based, right? So like to me as a parent, I'm of the mindset that like you're the coach, what you say goes. And even though I'm also a coach, I stay out of it, right? Like I, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm there to, to cheer, right? I am a strictly a fan and to support my kid that being said i'm going to do my due diligence and make sure that you're qualified to handle my children right like if you're if they get hurt in the weight room i chose the wrong coach and nah. and that's me right like I, I i you have to do due diligence and make sure that the practitioner that you're choosing is qualified is knowledgeable understands what they're doing and is is has every all the pieces of the puzzle to be able to put your child and trust them in 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 their hands because you as a practitioner once i hand my child over like i said you 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 what you say goes man i'm out i'm i'm a i'm a fan at that point but i'm gonna i'm gonna do the due diligence on the front end and make sure that you're qualified to do it and if you're not and I put my kid there and they get in harm's way, that's on me, right? I should have I should have been more selective. And 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 I now from the strength and conditioning point of view, yeah, I I I think that again, as a practitioner, you you you've got to have your system in place in mm-hmm. terms of what what the beginning and the end looks like of an athletic career training wise. And I'm very fortunate. I, I'm I've been able to coach the the most elite of pros, and now I'm working with 14 year olds on the bottom end, you know, and uh, working forwards and backwards on the continuum of preparedness as well as elite athleticism. But I would say that again, you have to have a system, you have to have a vision, you have to have a plan. But at the end of the day, you also have to watch and look and evaluate right because i'll tell you right now i've got 15 year olds that can do everything that a college athlete can do almost as well as a college athlete can do and i've got 15 year old athletes that my nine-year-old daughter can perform better than in certain movements you know and so there's really no rule and there's no set in stone. That's, that's, I guess that's what the point I'm getting at. It's so organic that you just have to yeah. meet the athlete where they are in terms of development, you know? And I, I know that that's not a very exact or a scientific answer, but that's, that's the best I can come up with in terms of living it every day now. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I can't just say, okay, and I have my incoming indoctrination, freshman, block zero, whatever you want to call it, that program, you know, but it, it's always going to need to be adjusted because yeah. always people that, you know what, like <clears throat> push-ups and bodyweight squats, like you're, you're great at those. Like I, you need something more. And then there's the person that, you know, they might be 16 or 17 in my environment and you know what? 
like that barbell back squat like you know, it's just not <laughs> not only is it not getting you better it's, it's it's honestly detrimental to you right now let's let's take a step back so it just depends on again you as a coach trusting your intuition trusting your coaching eye but having that system having that program having that plan in place allows you to move along the continuum right if i if i see what you're doing is too remedial i know what the next step is already if i see what you're doing is too much for you i know what the regression is mm-hmm. so having that backbone of of that plan but not not hesitating again and and so much of our conversation i feel like is mistakes that i made when i was younger and uh, you know what i've learned now that i'm older but you know when i was younger again on my piece of paper is the perfect program and so we're going to do word for word what it says on the piece of paper in front of me because this is the greatest program in the world. And if you can't do it, I'm going to take it personally and I'm going to get frustrated with you, <laughs> right? Like, And now I know, number one, it's not the perfect program. And number two, like that's on me, right? Like if something doesn't look right, am I not? First of all, it might be I'm not coaching it well enough. Maybe I didn't explain it to you properly. You know, maybe if I say it a little differently or coach it a little differently, maybe it'll look right. And sometimes it does. And sometimes, you know what? Nothing I can say. This is not, they're not ready for this. I'm going to do more harm than good here. Let's take a step back. You know, so I I guess what parents are looking for here is what age it's okay to lift weights. And again, I think it depends on your child. And I think it depends on the practitioner that you've, given them to and also it depends on their mentality because i'll Mm. tell you right now it takes a certain level of maturity and attention to detail to be able to step into a weight room or even onto onto a field and be able to do formal training you know you can play games you can get out and play sports and play gamify everything and 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 that helps with, with younger kids but in terms of formal training there's a level of maturity that you can have that some nine or 10 year olds have, you know, and then, and, and some 14 year olds don't, you know? So to me, again, to summarize it's, it's level of, of maturity and focus attention, it's the practitioner and it's your individual child and what they need and what you're, what you're looking to get out of it. You know? Yeah. It's a great answer. Yeah. From being in a unique position as well, being a parent and then also knowing, knowing the industry. So Thank you for that. Going back to the the topic, what are some common challenges and solutions for for athletes looking to develop yeah, agility for for game day performance? You know, so team based athletes are uh, looking to improve right, so, their, their agility. So here's here's the the piece that I'm going to focus on in in this question. So you said team based athletes, which alludes to there being a large group. Right. So to me, that's the piece I haven't talked about necessarily yet. That that if, if I can if I can find one thing that I feel like I'm good at as a coach, it is the ability to make the most out of large groups in terms of I hate to t- use the term individualization, but basically being able to meet the needs of a lot of different individuals in a large group setting because it's tough man it's you know and that's one thing that if i've spent more time racking my brain over or pouring over 
over the years, it is it is that model, the team based model. We know that everyone's not the same. We know that everyone doesn't need the exact same thing. But yet, when there's 60 athletes out there, I don't know. Here comes the logistical issues, right? And depending on your staffing, here comes a number of other potential issues, right? So I actually, what what we do, so like, let's take for instance, like, even though we're talking about agility, let's, let's, let's use an example in terms of like linear acceleration, right? Like, so, so we do, we'll take different drills and set them up like stations. And this is a, this is a rocket science, right? But like, it allows you to do a number of different things with a lot of different athletes. So one station might be res- resisted sprinting with a sled or a band. One station might be a horizontal plyo that we know is going to complement acceleration. One station might be a wall drill or some type of patterning drill. One station might be a four cone or a step or a seven cone. Some people call it like a tape drill where you're working on stride length, start. And then one station might be a laser time 10 or something of that nature. You could do the same thing for agility. You know, you could, if you're speaking in terms of a multi-directional day, set up five or six different things. And depending on how many athletes you have, it's, it's, let's say you've got 60 athletes, you know, eight to 10 athletes at each station and you're the head strength coach and you're overseeing, you designed it all, you're overseeing everything. And this would be in a situation where you, you're, you're limited on staffing because obviously if you have, if you're at a power five school, like I was at Texas Tech and I had five full-time strength coaches and like 10 interns, you know, it's, it's easy. You just give each coach these four or five guys need to work on this for their position and then it becomes easy, right? But I'm talking about the environment I'm in now because a lot of people aren't blessed with three football fields and 12 coaches, right? This is what we do now. You're overseeing it. You're the, you're, you've scripted it. It gives everybody a piece of what they need. So you're doing different things, right? Because so many times you've got 60 people, the temptation is just, just, run over there, touch the line and run back. And I'll just blow the whistle and I'll hold the stopwatch, right? Because there's too many of you to coach. Well, there's not, right? Like you break down individual chunks and you work on those pieces. You assign in the sport coaches can help with this. You assign the sport coaches to different stations, or if you have interns, they can run it too. You're overseeing the entire thing. You're able to prescribe the volume and the intensity and each station basically functions as an opportunity for learning, an opportunity for skill development. And then at the end, you bring them all together. And now, which we haven't talked about, here's the opportunity to compete. All right. Here's the opportunity to compete, whether it be in agility, which is obviously the focus of our conversation, whether it be in linear speed, because I'll tell you what, you develop all these skills, you teach, you you think you've got it ingrained, and then as soon as there's a winner or a loser, what happens to that skill? Boom. We're down the way up. Right, we just go. <laughs> we just go, right? So every time, we'll spend 30 minutes, like I just described, working on a variety of different skills that progress, right? It's every, I would say every two, roughly every two weeks, depending on how it looks, we'll progress to a higher level of the new skill. And then we'll compete because I want to see when the stress 
is ratcheted up. Do those, are you still able to exhibit those skills? Because if not, then I didn't do a very good job. Either I didn't coach them right or I picked the wrong drills for you to learn them. You know, that's one thing I'm big on is that the drills, if you teach the drills right and you pick the right drills, those are your teachers, right? The drills are your teachers. Like if, if guys can go through what I just described and they don't look any different, like you're doing the wrong drills, right? Like you need to be very intentional about the drills you pick, very intentional about how you progress them and very intentional about how you teach them. And you should see improvement in skill. And then just like we talked about agility, how you eventually have to test it by putting it in an unpredictable environment or an environment where they now have to exhibit a sport skill, you test the skills that you've learned in whatever movement realm by competing by having a winner and a loser or by we try to time as laser time as many things as possible just by ratcheting up the important really allows you to see like okay that skill is stable like he he competed against his teammates like that change that we made in the technique it's going to stick with them so i'm 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 always about teaching but then i'm always going to come on the back on the back end and put your your feet in the fire a little bit and see all right have you have you really learned or or did you just get better at that drill? Because there's got to be carryover. Why are we, I mean, that's the whole goal, right? If I can only get you better during my sessions, then I didn't really get you better, did I? And that's one thing that I've grown a lot of as a coach, because I used to only want drills that I could get everyone to look perfectly. Mm. And I would hang my hat. I would go home a happy man as a young coach. Man, did you see how perfect all my guys look in all my drills? today that was a great day well no because probably they've gone beyond that right they don't need those drills anymore if they're if they're that perfect at them are you challenging them are you giving them what they need you should be on the limit of ability right like like yes it should be a drill that they're able to perfect if they really concentrate and 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 try and get some experience at it but everyone looks great. It's probably too easy of a drill, right? And so now I want a little bit of things to coach, right? I want a little bit of, oh, you're trying to really learn here. This is a learning rich environment. You, he's struggling a little bit, right? That's not a bad thing as a coach, right? It should never be unsafe. It should never be outside the scope of their abilities, but they've got to struggle a little bit to, to, to learn, to adapt a skill. You know, that's one thing. So when I was at South Carolina, I actually got accepted into the doctorate program in motor learning, in, uh, excuse me, motor learning, motor behavior. When I was, and life took me in a different direction as, as we already talked about, but uh, I was going to be studying movement variability in athletes as, for my doctorate. And that's one thing that's always fascinated me is, is learning how athletes learn, but also as we talked about earlier, movement agility, whatever it is, it's it's just meeting the needs of a task, right? It's just trying to address a task. So on one hand, you've got athletes, and this is off on a tangent a little bit, but goes hand in hand with performance of a drill. On one hand, you've got athletes that are very creative, very artistic, and show a lot of movement variability. And then on the other hand, you've got the prototypical, and this was me as an athlete. Whatever the technique was, I was going to do it exactly as I was taught. And that's great, but what if the environment is a little more chaotic than we thought? You're still over here doing something by the book, and that's not going to meet the need of a task. 
right? So mm. where's that sweet spot? On one hand, you've got somebody that's too variable, right? If you're too variable, one might call that inconsistent. You have no technique, right? You're you're you've you've got no technique. You're just you're all over the place, right? But on the other end, you can be too rigid. So the great ones are the Pat Mahomes, the the guys that can meet the most tasks with the most different movement tools, but at the end of the day, they're still within that bandwidth of optimal technique. So that's a long, and I went off into left field with that one, but but whenever I talk movement, that's that's a lot of the things I think about is yes. position, how to get athletes to learn, because that's what we are. We're teachers, how to get athletes to learn and also how movement is variable. And there's, there's, there's the, as you mentioned, the big rocks, there's the attractors and the fluctuators, right? As Bosch would say, mm-hmm. like certain things mm-hmm. that you have to do in order to be an effective mover. And then the rest of it is stylistic, right? And we don't want to rob athletes of that style in the optimal way. And I need to perform things though. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure coaches listening will all have those athletes, the ones that naturally are so good at being able to meet the task, but perhaps the inconsistencies there as they don't have the, the traditional training behind them. And then there'll be, yeah, like you mentioned, those that have been through traditional training but might be too rigid on, on game day. So I really liked how you broke that down and, and trying to meet them in the middle on, on yeah, and how to break big groups into circuits and, and have themes to your training and, and teach and then put it all together and see how they go under under stress or there there's a question that's come through from someone listening in Macca from youtube we'll just touch on this one quickly before going into the last couple of questions of the topic but Macca's wrote, what do you think about the products like the iso tip and the iso tip lt for strengthening the tibialis and then he's written in brackets decelerations right on that yeah, topic so of decelerations i'll be 100 percent honest i've never heard of or seen that product obviously i'm all for strengthening the tibialis and, and its role in movement but i i, I honestly can't say that i've seen or heard of that product but i'll tell you what i'm going to look into it now so so thank you for that recommendation i i need to deepen my understanding of that product really before i can i can comment on that yeah i'm in the same i haven't heard it before so i can't touch on that one either maca but yeah i'll look into it and feel free to hit us up on socials for for an answer in the future in touched on it before the the importance of bringing in skill coaches in in your circuits and particularly if you're if you're you need staff on on each section, but I'm interested to know: Do you plan your agility training with the the tactical and the skill coaches? And and for those listening that may have not done that before, what would be some tips in terms of how to get buy-in from coaches and how to collaborate with the tactical coaches? Yes, in so I think design. I think I wouldn't say that that I necessarily collaborate in terms of the nuts and bolts of drill design or session organization, but where the collaboration does take place for me and should take place for you is in the, the film room or in the coach's office, as well as, as watching the sport being played because you've got to understand what's going on, right? Like you've got to understand what the athletes are being asked to do, not only, not only movement-wise, but goal, goal-wise, task-wise, the more you can understand the sport, the easier it's going to be to do all everything that we talked about, right? So it's, it's like I talked about earlier. Like I may sound like I know what I'm talking about, but if you ask me about the golf swing, we'll be on here for 30 seconds and think this guy's an idiot, right? Like there are sports that I don't understand to the level now. If you hired me to train that sport, 
I would research, I would watch video, I would go to game, you know, and, and I could eventually figure it out. But the sports that I do know primarily, as I mentioned, American football. Yeah. I mean, I, I watch tape, watch practice, speak to coaches, ask questions of coaches. I try to understand, as I mentioned, cause you can watch and you can look at, oh, okay. They move laterally. Oh, okay. They, they do a lot of, you know, forward, backward deceleration right? Because they have to get behind the guy that has the ball if they hope to ever get the ball, right? Like you can see that as a casual fan, but what's inside? Why are they doing those things, right? Like what, what's the goal? What's the, what task is being asked of him? What is he trying to accomplish with these movements? You know, and if you understand those things, because the, the other pieces, the energy system, the strength qualities, I mean, for, I guess for, for the uninitiated, those would be things that you, you would have to really think about. But I think most of us can look and understand, all right, what strength are at play and what the energy systems look like. But yeah, those movements, a lot of times they can be tricky, but again, I really want to get to the heart of it, right? Not, not just what movements they're doing, but what causes them to do those? Because that's really those last two layers of agility that we talked about. Like, why is he, why is he decelerating? You know, what is he trying to get to or get away from? And, and that all comes from the sport that comes from the sport coaches. And, and at the end of the day, like we talked about the realities of professional sport are you're going to be evaluated alongside those guys. Right. So if, uh, if the team's going to get better, your strength and conditioning program, you might have all the great data in the world that these guys get stronger and faster, but if they're not playing their sport better, you're part of the problem. Like you missed the boat somewhere. So you have to go back and say, okay, where could it have, where could I have gotten this transfer of training to come across more? And a lot of times it's, it's doing everything you're doing, but packaging it differently, putting it into situations that look and feel more like their sport and again that's the last horizon right that's not that doesn't mean like you know from day one you've gotta you know throw a rugby ball at them like there's plenty of stuff um, generally that we can work on as i mentioned I'm, I'm always about the underpinning just be a better athlete a more robust athlete first but when you talk about transfer of training and you talk about the professional level yeah it comes down to that it comes down to being able to bleed what we're doing into the skills. Mm -hmm. And if that, that bleeding doesn't take place, you know, why is it not taking place? Do you not understand the sport? Are you too egotistical to ask questions of the sport coaches? Or maybe there's a piece of your program that needs to get better, you know, at on a general level. So yeah, I mean, you got to watch film. You got to understand the sport, whatever that looks like to you. Absolutely. Mindful of your time. And I know we've covered this in, in great detail, this topic, but before we move into the final questions outside of this key topic, is there anything on agility and, and max velocity that you'd like to touch on, Scott, before we wrap it up that we've missed? Uh, no, I, I guess, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about, you know, the, the transfer of training and, and getting it over to the sport. And But I, I think I'm real big on measuring things and the, you know, there's, these days, right, like there's DPS, there's there's every type of technology out there. So there's really no excuse. You know, even if it's just laser timing, like we've got to collect data. It just helps us as a profession. It helps strengthen your argument, whether it be force plate data, whether it be GPS data, but even if it's just something simple like laser timing sprints or you know, the the, the weight room's easy, right? Because they're the weights 
weigh a certain amount and you can track how much guys are lifting but the days of just you know shooting from the hip and just doing stuff and making sure they work hard and then then we'll just see what happens you know those days are gone the world is so data driven now that you better be collecting some type of data not only to justify what you're doing but to evaluate yourself what you're doing right like yeah it's nice to be able to go to your head coach and be like look like for instance today right like and this is something very simple so a laser timed flying 10 with a 20 yard running so today is one year from the date that we tested it last year and we had 21 guys beat our best time from last year, right? Which may sound astronomical, but you would never know that, right? Like unless unless you collected that that data. And now and we do have GPS monitors too. So I know how fast guys are running and 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 all of those things, but you know, it may sound too sciencey, but your players get off on that. Like they love feedback. They love to know how they're doing. Like I got kids that come running to me when they when they cuz they're able to check their data on their phone. We have the stat mm-hmm. support units and they'll come running to me coach i ran 21.5 miles an hour today so fired up right or their parents will come to me and be like oh i heard you know joey broke 20 miles an hour today he was so fired up it just it just makes everything better right it just solidifies that you know in the eyes of everyone around you but also yourself like okay this is this is working and and guys are getting better or if they're not wow guys aren't getting better at this right like what something's wrong you know like like for instance like now in my program to 20 because 40 yard dash is our big you know linear speed test in football 10 to 20 is is not our best right now so clearly somewhere in my program i'm not addressing the transition to max velocity right and i'm not saying we're bad at it but if i'm looking at the data like okay our start is great our max speed for the genetics that we have is great but there's a a black hole in the middle in the tunnel there and and i gotta figure it out and i he, unless you're tracking that type of stuff you would never know you know so long story short man whatever your budget allows track something it just it's it's the athletes love it the the parents love it and you know it helps solidify whether your program is working or not working yeah uh, it's great like you mentioned the objective approach data driven world but then i think the most important part or certainly what i took away from that is make sure you're applying it and using it to your programming and to your coaching. Uh, I think that's a great great piece of advice and a great way to wrap up the topic, mate, which is a really interesting one for, for all coaches and, and anyone tuning in. Moving over to the personal side, are there pet peeves in the industry or things that sort of make you angry still as a, as a coach? No, man. I, I think as I'm getting a little more laid back in my old age, I would say like pet peeves, like, you know, it, it, as far as the industry man like i think i guess i guess i would say and maybe this is you know me being a little too old school because i have twitter and instagram and all those things but like there are plenty of good coaches that are active on social media but to me being active on social media doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good coach or better than the next guy you know like i think we've reached the the stage now where the most respected coaches are the ones that post the most right and that's not necessarily the case now like i said i'm not bashing guys that post a lot i know some of the guys that are some of the most respected on social media and they do a great job and they're incredible coaches so i'm not bashing social media but i do think that there's a little bit of a 
hyperemphasis of it. I mean, uh, yeah. Famous strength coaches are just the ones that post the most, right? Like, I mean, it's, there's there's got to be more to it than that, you know? And so I, I, I guess maybe that, but again, you know, maybe I'm getting old and grumpy. I don't know. Maybe I need to start posting more and then I'll be a little more famous, you know? But yeah, no, man, that's, that's, that's pretty much it, you know? Like, and, and I just think like be open-minded and, and help in, instead of judge, you know, because to me, if you have good intentions, if you have a reason for what you're doing, and if you have a plan, like more power to you, man, like roll it out there and let's see what happens. You know, if those three things are in place, like you mean, well, you have thought behind it and you got a plan, like go get it. You know what I mean? I, I don't like people that just do stuff that just shoot from the hip, you know? Like, like have a plan and, and mean well and know what you're doing. Great, man. If I might not do it that way, but you're, pr- you might be right and I might be wrong, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Many roads to, to Rome, definitely in our industry. That's for sure. What about favorite way to spend your, your day off? Yeah. So like I said, I have, I have a million kids, you know, I have two daughters, nine and six, two stepsons, five and three and, uh, a son on the way due in June. So yeah, congratulations. Like both of my daughters are athletes. My older daughter plays flag football and soccer, and I help coach her flag football team, actually, which it, I would never have been able to do in college. But now at the high school level, I have enough free time that I'm able to go out there and coach her. And my younger daughter, um, she's about to turn seven. She's an incredible soccer player. She plays on academy soccer, which is year round, you know, the highest level of soccer for that age group. I don't coach her because I don't know nearly enough about soccer, even to coach six-year-olds. So, but I go and I I cheer, and she's incredible at that. So, I'm going to their games, or if I'm not going to their games, you know, we're going to do something fun as a family. So it's not, you know, it's that that's pretty much if I'm it's my day off. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, fantastic. And the we're recording this in April, so early 2023. What's on the horizon for you what are you excited about from a professional point of view for them yeah yeah so so like i said personally my son will be born in june so that'll be big you know um professionally you know i just want to uh, a key theme that we you've talked about a lot is development right and so like at the mm-hmm. level of that now it's a very developmental level but again through the the data tracking and through just keeping you know evaluating my program we've seen so much growth i've been here now like a year and a half, almost two years the amount of growth that we've experienced um both quantitatively but also through things like just feedback from parents you know in terms of my son is so much more confident i don't even recognize him anymore he, he walks differently he talks differently he believes in himself you know that's that that's what i'm here for right yeah making a real impact i'm not you know, and it's just, some of these kids will, you know, some, our quarterback could be the next Pat Mahomes. You don't know, like some of these kids will reach that level, but if they don't, I want to know that I left some type of legacy with them in terms of developing them. Yes, physically, but also emotionally, mentally. And it sounds cliche, but I mean like that they're moldable right now. And uh, mm-hmm. my high school, while coach had a huge impact on me i was a clown i was a jokester you know whatever i was going to get a laugh out of that's what that's what i was going to be doing and uh, you know now you know the ability to focus and and 
place an importance and a commitment on something day in, day out, be consistent and work ethic, all of those things, you know, that, that my parents preached to me were, were strengthened in that formative experience through high school football. And I just want to be able to give that gift to these kids. And, 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 you know, when they leave, not only will they have matured physically, but they'll have matured in every other way that will make them a better person and a better member of society. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, they're lucky to to have you. And like you mentioned, it's such a pivotal to have someone rock solid and, and making you better. And probably the relationship that's built in the weight room can sometimes be far stronger than perhaps teachers or certainly different relationship anyway. So yeah, it's a really important role, both from an athletic point of view, but also just in life in general. So. Love your work, mate. Thank you so much for, for jumping on and sharing with us, both from parents would have got something out of that. S&C certainly did. And some tips and, and tricks for, for athletes to take their game to another level. So really appreciate your time jumping on. And thank you for everyone that's tuned in as well. We'll post this next week on, on Wednesday, where we post every week our most recent episode. But for the time being, if you tuned in halfway, make sure to listen to the start. It'll live on our YouTube channel. But Thanks again, Scott. If anyone has any follow-up questions or they want to get in contact, mate, where, where's the best place to get in contact to connect with you? I'm on Twitter, Coach S. Sal, and then Instagram as well. And, you know, like I, I'm an open book. I got no secrets. So hit me up and I, I'll talk shop with anybody. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, been a pleasure, man. Like really enjoyed this. You know, I, I see we've been on for like an hour and 18. I'm like, man, it went by quick because probably because I was talking the whole time but i appreciate you having me on and hopefully you know everyone got something out of this 100 percent, they did yeah you can tell you're passionate about it it comes through and and yeah time certainly did fly but there's some yeah, great information there your wealth of knowledge so yeah really appreciate it again and yeah thank you and if you're ever ever in down under make sure to reach out and yeah likewise over to. the states we'll have to connect i would love to thank you if you enjoyed this episode and want even more our academy is for you the Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane and I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us. Awesome. So he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll hand it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent.
thanks jack and yeah thanks um thanks sam for the chat it was uh i found it to be really insightful plenty of gems in there um and i enjoyed it a lot um my 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 question to you was you spoke quite a bit about um perspective during that chat um and i was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um do physically that um you wish you either knew or did um back at the beginning of your career uh what are some of those things mm, yeah good question um yeah so i suppose with perspective on life um that sort of point um it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now and and didn't probably have that as much um, when i was younger um i suppose one thing i might mention is is gratitude i spend a lot of my mm. time um doing a lot of gratitude exercises listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what i'm grateful for sort of three things and um that's a fantastic way that i've been able to yeah, like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about you know that there is more to life than football or you know might be whatever as an snc coach you know if something's you having a hard time um it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um yeah. so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things mm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and i probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes thank you for listening to the prepare like a pro podcast if you like this episode it'd be a massive help if you could like follow rate give a review or even share with your mates the show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.